introduction you you clearly did your <laughs> um your homework good evening everyone i'm so impressed to see so many um persons this late on a friday evening i will try not to keep you uh too long but hopefully we can have um an engaging conversation about building at home literacy experiences so you heard um you heard some of my bio, but I want to start with, with where my interest in reading and literacy comes from. This is my grandma. Um, she taught English and reading and grammar for 67 years. She taught from age 16 until she died at age 83. And she is one of the greatest influences in my life. And I spent I, I like to tell people I have a degree in reading from the University of Joyce Magnus because I spent a lot of time talking to her about reading and English and she really felt that reading and literacy were the keys to, to unlocking every child's potential and that, that is something that is burned um, into my brain. One, one glitch that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about that was left out of my bio is that I did study um, educational technology and media at the ed school at Columbia. So I'm, I'm very committed to, um, to reading. I'm very interested in all the different ways in which skill in reading and deficiencies in reading show up in, in life. So as you heard from the bio, I, I write books for children. Some of them are behind me here, um, both for school use and for fun. I'm really committed to, to children enjoying books and not just always being taught that books are things to learn from. Um, I have worked in publishing, publishing the Little Lion series, and if, if you're familiar with the Crayons Count series that ran in the Gleena for years, those are my pages as well, the educational activities for children that used to come in the Saturday Gleena. And I've worked for about 10 years as a publishing advocate working with the Book Industry Association of Jamaica, another outfit called Carrie Blit that was doing the same thing at the regional level, and most recently as part of Re Jamaica. And then for the last four years, I've been working with an NGO called Fight for Peace and, um, and founded the Fight for Peace book club, which is called Fighting Words. And that has really shaped my interest in the intersection between low literacy skills and the likelihood of young people ending up in crime and violence. I think it's an under-researched area here, but it's also an area that gives me a lot of hope because this is a fight that we can win. If we can work to strengthen young people's literacy skills, the earlier the better, then we have a chance of heading them off at the path um, and making sure that fewer of our young people end up as victims and perpetrators of crime and violence. I've, I've spent a lot of the 20, last 20 years talking to people about reading, um, both as an author and as somebody who works in an NGO. People ask you, you know, why won't my son read? Why won't my 
daughter read, teachers talk to me about reading, um, fellow NGO partners talk to me about reading at Fight for Peace. We have social workers and psychologists who sit in the, in the book clubs that we have. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about why won't children read? And a big part of that is what happens at home. And so what I thought I would do today is not, so, not spend so much time on specific activities because you can Google those or I will put a link in my bio and give you a list of 24 activities you can try at home. But what we have found is that those activities are like preaching to the choir. The parents who are gonna do those activities are the parents whose children probably don't need the extra coaching. Or conversely, we have parents who try the activities, but the way that the activities are introduced and the language that is used when we're talking about reading and literacy sometimes acts counter to the objective. So what I wanted to do today was to just take a step back and talk about sort of how and, and, and when and where we talk about literacy with kids and then mention a couple of activities that we can dig in um, if there is time. And as I said, I will share specific activities with you. So these are, I, I, I seem to have lost control of my PowerPoint, 10, 10 tips um, for building at-home literacy experiences. And all of these tips are applicable to toddlers, tweens, and teens. And I wanted to stress that before we start because we sometimes forget that older kids need literacy reinforcement, especially in the home. Um, we have a lot of immersive literacy activities targeting younger kids, but it tends to peter off um, the older the kids get. And we need to think about building and reinforcing literacy skills as an ongoing activity that follows the child's uh, full life cycle. Number one for working at home is, and this might seem screamingly obvious, but remember you're at home, right? We're at home. We're not in school. We're not at work. We're not in a correctional facility. <laughs> so the way that we structure some of these activities needs to feel like home to the child if we want them to get the best out of it. Um, sometimes we get very caught up in the skill and drill method, right? And in the instructional objectives of the activities that we're gonna do with the child. And we get frustrated when the child doesn't respond well to them. But that kind, we have to remember that, you know, children come home from school a lot of times as tired and frustrated as we feel when we come home from work and so if you're introducing an activity to them in the same tone that they've been introduced to it at school especially for dealing with reluctant readers here who we know have a lot of psychosocial baggage attached to the attempt because the experience of reading is one bound up with shame in school right so if they come home and there's more of that that's not going to have the desired result, right? We need to, to think about what home is supposed to feel like for a child. And I like to think of it um, in terms of the four Fs, although a friend of mine reminded me there's plenty more. I'm sure you, you can come up with some other ones. But at home, we want children to have fun, right? We want just an opportunity. We want those activities to be integrated, not, hey, take the book, go read your book. Right? We have a lot of parents that think they're practicing literacy, but when you dig into what they're doing, they're just giving the kid a book, sending the kid into the corner, and it feels like punishment or it feels like instruction. Nobody else is doing it. My older brother is outside playing, my sister is watching TV, and my mother is cooking or talking on the phone to her friend, and I'm being sent to this, to this book. It's not something that involves 
everybody else and isn't fun and I don't associate that feeling of family the way I associate other fun things like a trip maybe or going out for ice cream so we need to think about that and then the 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 last f is is um is flexibility right again this is not a classroom we don't have a lesson plan so there's no activity that we have to do there is no activity that has to be done this day this time this moment in this way we have a chance to really let kids shape how they participate in the activity and tailor the activities based on the needs or the emotional context that the child finds themselves in at that time so always remember your your activities at home are meant to complement what happens at school address challenges that happen at school but first and foremost this is its home and I, I echo everything that the previous speaker said about that need for trust that need for open communication it's very difficult to learn from someone that you don't trust and that you don't think is on your side and that you think is going to judge you or shame you or punish you if you get something wrong and if it's better to do nothing than to extend a child's educational day in that tone so always remember home home first uh, start with yourself i get a lot of complaints from parents i tried everything this boy don't read i don't know him heads up him don't listen to me and i will say so what, what did he think about the last book you read right well, well i i didn't read i haven't read anything i didn't you know oh well you know are there are there books in the house do you talk to me about no no <laughs> we have to i mean i know as as teachers you understand better than i do and as parents as well you understand better than i do that we like to think that we're teaching children when we are in teaching mode so when i flip my switch and i'm teaching that's the only time the child is paying attention to me right and that's that's not true we know that children absorb um, what happens they learn from us they learn unconsciously from from watching how we behave from watching what we ascribe importance to the biggest predictor of a child's early reading skill is whether or not the parents read or whether their books in the home so if you don't read if you don't engage your child in reading if you if your child does not see you curious about a topic excited whether it's to take up a print book or to go online and google it or to to access information and watch you process that and even watch you fail at it if your child has never heard you say what does that word mean oh let me go look up that word can we realistically expect the child to just develop out of the clear blue sky this very sunny positive attitude to reading and literacy we can't we are teaching all the time when we're drop down tired when we're frustrated when we're angry we're still teaching so if you have a child for whom you have prioritized the acquisition of literacy skills you have to clean up your dolly house i i had a father the other day that i said to him i don't care what you put between the cover of a book if you want to put a comic strip in in between the book cover or just read a comic strip but just fake it, just fake it, just sit down like this and fake it. Just let your child on a regular basis see you reading because the child will then form the unconscious re realization that this is something that is important to my mother. Um, third tip I would give is to stop the pun. And by that, I mean, you know, you know, people tell you, 
um, if you want to go on a diet, the easiest thing to do is to just fill your fridge and your cupboard with healthy food so that you don't have any other choice. Human beings are by nature, I, I don't want to say lazy, but we, <laughs> we adapt, right? So the, the closer things are to our environment and the more frequently we interact with things in our environment, the likely that we are to develop those habits that stick. This is not my bookshelf, but you see a selection of the books I have in my house. No children live here, but there are books here because children come in and out all the time and there's a way for me to engage with them around books. I do the same thing in my office where we have books just on the desks, on the tables, on a bookshelf, because it's a way for the young people in our program to recognize that these are important and also for us to start striking up conversations with them. We, we cannot predict what any young person in our program is going to respond to. So having a diverse array of titles around the office sparks conversations that you would not imagine. I actually ended up reading um, <laughs> the Vibes Cartel biography because it was on my desk and a young man in the program asked if he could read it. He had never expressed any interest in books before. So, right, what I always say, start where they are, start where they are, meet them halfway. So I said, yes, you, you can read it, but on the condition that we'll have a conversation about it. So I had to read it. So when I say start the pun, I mean, don't think about populating a child's reading life based off your interests. Try to think about like what are the, what's the, the possible array of topics, titles, authors, that might be just that one thing that might click um, for that young person. The, I know that there was a session on, um, on digital yeah, opportunities, right. so I don't want to go into that, but I need to mention just two opportunities because we do hear parents say, this is expensive in this day and age, right? The reason that they can't buy a lot of books is because it's expensive. There are two fantastic free resources for digital books. The first one I'll talk about is Book Fusion, which has just done an amazing project with the Ministry of Education, I believe. I'm sure there are people on this call who can correct me. To make some of these very titles behind me here, so some of the books used in the primary um, literacy one, two, three program available for free and zero rated accessible, meaning that you can go onto that site by phone and it not using any, any of your data. For parents, young people, teachers to navigate. They have a great collection of, this is a Jamaican site, Jamaican entrepreneurs working to make books accessible for our young people. Fantastic collection of books, free, doesn't cost you a thing. Um, there's also one of my favorite sites, the International Children's Digital library which is an amazing collection of digital books again for free available on the internet for those who are still very committed to print books our booksellers actually understand the financial challenges that parents and teachers have and so on a regular basis will offer special sales i would single out um, cozy corner bookstore kingston bookshop sangsters bookstore uh, bookland in new kingston as places that you can go to and find low cost books that can engage your child. Um, and then also think about, you know, creating lending libraries within your, within your circle. So your children may be done with these books. They've read them 10 times. They're not gonna read them. Pass those on to another parent, to another teacher and encourage that kind of recycling of books through your personal networks. Uh, or 
<laughs> this is another one of my favorites. It, you have to prescribe reading, right? Again, this is closely connected to the how though, because if you're doing it in that negative, authoritative way, it's not going to help. But I will have parents who will say to me, yes, you know, I got the book on sports and him read it one time and then him don't take up no book since. And then when you probe a little further, well, how, what was your engagement? Like, how did you engage with the child and the book? Did you read aloud to the child? How many times did you read a book aloud? What else did you do? There, there's a, it's a one-off effort. So they read, uh, they bought a book and they read the book one time and it didn't have the desired effect. If we try, if you had high blood pressure and you tried to treat it that way, Nobody would be surprised if it didn't work, right? There's very few things we can fix in life with a one-off thing. So we have to make a commitment to reading, but again, it's how. So you want to make sure that you make reading special. It has to be a routine. We want to do it every day, but we want, it's a very different thing if you say, hey, take your book and go sit down in the corner. Or if you have a song that comes on when it's reading time, or there's a dance that the family does, when it's reading time or when it's reading time, everybody gathers in a particular part of the house and you're gonna take turns reading the story. There has to be something in the how of it that makes it fun, that makes it feel, as I mentioned earlier, like a family trip, like the other fun things that kids look forward to. Make reading a fun thing like that, but a fun thing that they can look forward to regularly. So this is not the one-off thing, the one-off ice cream at Devon House. This is, oh my God, at 7.15. 7.15 every night is story time, right? And that, that regularity can come from somebody who's in the house or somebody who's not in the house. Maybe at 7.15 every night, grandma calls and grandma reads a story or grandma asks questions about the book that you read that week. Maybe it's a favorite aunt. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a peer. The, the point is it needs to be regular so that the child can rely on it and it needs to be fun so that it's something that they look forward to and they feel good about it's not punishment it's not instruction then we get to the meat of the matter integrate 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 i can't i can't it, it could have been tip 10 and i would have said it 10 times because we and again i know i'm trying to be careful here because i know i'm talking to people who understand literacy theory better than i do but the reason that we want kids to improve their literacy skills is because we need to be literate to navigate real life, right? So this is one of those things where you just, you know that hold your head emoji? We, what we want is for kids to strengthen their ability to process information, to succeed in the world, to access, to engage in the real world. But we don't teach literacy that way. We don't, we don't, we very rarely teach literacy in terms of, or at least in the home, in terms of strengthening that real world engagement. So the next two tips I'm going to talk about are both based on, on integration. But the point is, we need to stop thinking about literacy as something that we teach on a chalkboard and then something that the child practices with a book in their hand. We have to make those connections between that, those experiences, which are both incredible valuable and what the child is going to do in real life right and once you start making those like children you know children are, are, um, are self-interested beings the way adults are right they want to know what's in it for me why am I learning to do this oh hold on you mean if 
I understand my letters, then I will know how to use my favorite toy. I've, I've often said to parents, have you tried reading the toy manual with the child? Have you tried getting the child to practice reading the, the manual of their favorite toy? Have you tried getting them to read the recipe of their favorite food or the ingredients of their favorite food? Have you tried um, getting them to list if they're struggling with phonemes, for instance, have you ever played their favorite rap song or hip hop? I mean, maybe not squash boss or whatever, but their favorite song that has appropriate lyrics and have them listen out for particular phonemes, right? We have to make connections between the things that we want kids to learn and how they're actually navigating the world. For those of you who, who um, are, are believe in constructivist theory, children build bridges of knowledge, right? And it's really, if, you, if, you're, if you're a little kid, it's hard. It's re you know, life is hard. You're just trying to make your way. You have no control over anything. These people are just giving you a barrage of information day in, day out. And sometimes you're not really clear. What does this have to do with my Power Rangers game or my jigsaw? What does any of this have to do with anything that I that is important to me? So we need to try to meet kids at their level and make those connections between the basics of literacy and how they are actually navigating the world. Two quick ways to do that. One is to develop activities based on the books that they're reading. So if you're lucky enough to have engaged a child um, with a book, think about as many real life activities as you can um, think, uh, develop. So for instance, we, we had a child, um, <laughs> we had a child the other day, who was really um, struck to find a reference to Papin in a book. It, you know, it's, a, it's disappointing to me that in 2020, Jamaican children should still, that should still be a novel experience to a Jamaican child to find a place that they know referenced in a book. And so we suggested to the mother, take the, take the child to Papine, take the child to Papine and have the child look around at what's there and then go back into the book and compare the description that's in the book with how he or she would have, would have was he, how he would write that description. Activities like that help to concretize what their, their engagement with text, with, as I said, how they're navigating the world. Um, you can make food that's referenced in a book. You can um, replicate activities that are in a book. Anything that gets the child, yes, they've read it the first time, but activities that get the child to go back into the text critically will reinforce that learning. Conversely, you can also, so one, one strategy was to take the book and turn the book into activities. Another strategy is to turn everyday activities into literacy practice. And, and those of you who, who um, teach grammar and reading, I'm, there are hundreds of these activities, chain stories, um, phonics, walks, letter hunts. Um, you know, we can do something simple, like if you can see the book covers behind me, how many items with the letter B can you find in the books behind me? And then the child will say bag or ball or boy, right? If the child is struggling with um, phonemes, plurals, whatever the, the specific issue is, try to find a way to bring it into his or her world so they can practice 
in real life. It's, it, I raised this earlier, but it's, it's really um, worth reinforcing again that a lot of times the issue that we're having is not so much absorption of the functional skill, but we're trying to get over that psychosocial hurdle. Children get shamed very often in their early engagement with literacy, and it's not intentional. A teacher doesn't intend it. Sometimes it's, you know, there's 40 kids in the classroom and you just, you need to move on to the next child, so you shut that child down. You shut the first child down before they've finished articulating their idea or answering the question. And it doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but it's a big deal. It's a big deal to that child. And so it, in many instances, deters them from picking up another book because they now associate this with shame. So we need to find ways to create practice off of the book so that they understand, one, that the book is only a part of the literacy experience, but to give them a chance to shine on literacy issues in areas where they have a little bit more comfort and confidence. And as I said, I'm, I'm happy to email scores of activities um, that, that practice these. Um, we have a fantastic partner in St. Elizabeth called BREADS. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, but BREADS has developed a program called EduSport, which is traditional Jamaican ring games remixed to practice literacy and numeracy. It is the most awesome thing because the children do not know that they are practicing literacy or numeracy. They're playing and they're romping and they're screaming and it works just as well for literacy as for math. But, you know, it, it, you imagine, um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with dog and bone, but it's a, a game where you there's an item in the middle of the of a let's say a field and you have one line of kids on one side another line of kids on one side and you line them up and you can make up the clues using anything you want right so you could you could say um, you could pair them off by vowels and then you shout out a you keep shouting out words until a word starts with a vowel. So say I'm, I, I've lined up my kids, A-E-I-O-U, and the kids now have to wait to hear a, a word that starts with a vowel. So I might shout bat, I might shout hair, and then I shout apple. And the kids who are A have to race to the middle of the um, field and grab the toy. Now that you can do that game with anything, right? But I tell you, you cannot imagine what it feels like when you have been trying to teach kids vowels, for example, and you hear kids arguing, why you run, why you run for bat? Bat don't start with a vowel. You should not run for bat. You can't run for bat. You, apple, apple start with a vowel. A is a vowel, and, you know, and they get it, but they're playing. They're not studying vowels, they're playing, right? And so it just turns that experience into a whole different thing from whether or not they've, you know, they've understood the, the talk and talk way um, and, and, and can regurgitate it to you. And also that's how we use vowels in real life. Nobody walks around reciting the vowels, right? We just, we use them. And so, the, you know, thinking up new ways that we can practice using this stuff as close as possible to the real life way helps children to better understand it. Um, Incorporate all the senses and learning styles. And this is, this is one that is very important to me because it, it's, we need to keep this in mind when we're teaching young people who have special needs. 
not all children are visual or oral learners and we have a traditional style of teaching that leaves out kids who are kinesthetic learners um, for example if you are dealing with a child like that and you want to practice um, uh, let's say b sounds um, or, or uh, yeah b sounds can you instead of just having the child circle circle all the, the words that start with b can you read the list of words and have the child hop when he hears a word that starts with B or skip when he hears um, a, a particular phoneme, right? We, not every kid is meant to, to sit in a chair and learn in that way. They, they, they literally cannot do that. And again, the, the advantage of, of teaching at home is that some of this stuff is easier right now. Imagine trying to incorporate smell into a primary school classroom in Jamaica, right? We're not, our classrooms aren't really set up to do that. But if the mother is cooking, and let's say the, the child has been doing a vocabulary list related to, um, to, to food, right? If the mother is cooking, you can ask the child, give me four words to describe this smell. Right, that's a way to engage a child that might not have been, you know, been able to participate as well using a more traditional format. So think about sights, sounds, taste, touch, um, and then think about different learning styles. I'm, I'm really, really excited about um, teaching reading with music. So, for instance, this is a new book that Sadella Marley has just put out: Get Up, Stand Up. Right. Think about the experience for a child who's a reluctant reader. If a mother brings this home and just says, okay, today we're going to read Get Up, Stand Up, and she just sits there and reads it, you know, wrote. And, and this might be a bad example because it's a great book. And it, 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 even if the mother just read it, it would probably still be very entertaining. But what if the mother came in and turned on Get Up, Stand Up, and the family dance around the room and the mother is reading and passes the book to the child to read a page and then they have a conversation about it what what is the difference in the experience that the child will have in those two in those two models and what we want out of all of this is for kids to associate positive feelings with readings positive feelings with engaging with text. So again, not instruction, not, not punishment, but joy, the fulfillment of curiosity, satisfaction, those four Fs, freedom, fun, family, good feelings, right? You just, you, you want all of those positive vibes in there. And there's, there's no limit to how you can incorporate those senses and, and, and music and, and movement with books. We just have to be creative about it nine again this one is very dear to my heart make your own books I, I have a lot of conversations with parents about um leading with the child's interest right so again again i'm often startled kid won't read okay what does he love he loves football have you you know what's the last book on football you read with him oh I, we don't have any books about football and sometimes it's just they're not having thought about it, but sometimes it's legitimately a, a difficulty in finding a book that is related to your child's area of interest. Sometimes you just can't find them. No, I always say, write the book you can't find, right? So in my day, we used to have to take cartridge paper, 
or or those you know the, the scrapbook that have the scissors on the cover right and then cut out pictures from the newspaper or magazines and paste in the pictures and then write our stories on the bottom and i still highly recommend that by the way so totally highly recommend it well, I, I love um recommending to, to mothers in particular if you're reading a magazine when you're done with it you know sit down with the child and cut out pictures and then have the child write their own story that child then links your reading with an activity that you've done together and then forward links it to his or her own reading love that not this in that however with technology now we can do so much so much more we have access to all kinds of clip art every picture you could ever want on the internet we can google anything that we don't know about so if you have a child who is interested in worms or um oh i had a kid the other day who's who's interested in k-pop anybody know anything about k-pop korean pop music news news to me 14 year old child in denim town teaching herself korean using the internet because of k-pop fascinating to me but what she's now able to do is, is write her own story, right? Because she can now do all the research that she wants to do online, following the lovely um, guidelines from Miss Campbell, of course. But she and her mother can now like make their own digital book. And if they want to print it, they can print it. But that's a, that's a legitimate book that she can share with her friends, with her teachers. She can put it in a library. Um, you can go so far as, as Kindle Direct Publishing allows you to, to post your books online and make them available for sale. Not enough of us are taking advantage of that. Of just really, we know what the gaps are. We know publishing economics are not favorable here, but that doesn't stop us from creating our own content and at least helping the children in our own circle. And if you're not the storyteller as the parent, I guarantee you, you know a teacher, you know an auntie, you know a friend who will do it. You also know older kids who can be recruited to make books for younger kids. So we have a big problem in Jamaica where, where um, we have a lot of older young people, older youth who read below their grade level, right? And who are often, frankly, um, insulted because we don't have a lot of multi-level text. So, so texts that are written at the emotional sophistication for a teenager, but the link, the language equivalent of a younger child. We don't, we don't have a lot of those here. And so sometimes when we give them the textbooks that they can manage because of their reading level, it's embarrassing. And so we're right back to the original problem of introducing reading and literacy with shame, with judgment. A good way to engage a child like that is don't make them the problem, make them the solution. You can say, Javon, you're great at football. I have a three-year-old that is, we're teaching to read and we don't have any books about football for him. Can you help me write a picture book about football to teach with the three-year-old? You get two things out of that. Javon gets practice in writing. He gets to practice his own literacy skills. Well, three things actually. He gets to be the solution. So somebody who has struggled with reading now gets to be part of the solution, which addresses that shame issue. And then we have a book that, that the three-year-old now gets to enjoy. This is something that we're doing in my program um, in Denham Town and Trenchtown. One of, one of our young people said she's, she's never seen Denham Town in a book. 
So we're going to fix that, right? We can fix that because we've got older youth in the program who can write stories and share those with the younger um, participants. So you can do that with your families. You can do that in your school. You can do that in your church. You can do that in your communities. We have the potential to make our children authors and not just consumers of content. And who doesn't want to be their own superhero in a story, right? So even within the context of a family, you know, have your child, have your child write um, a book. I, I mentioned that we have a, a psychologist that sits in our, um, our book club. Um, one of the things we've been experimenting this year is, is called developmental bibliotherapy, where we literally prescribe books based on the emotional challenges that the young people have. And so we are embarking on a project now to have young people literally rewrite their own stories. So for young people who've encountered a particular challenge, this is yes, in, in combination with the psychosocial support that they receive, how can we get them to write that story and take control of the narrative? So what else could have happened or what happened after this particular, um, after the real life ending, what happened next? So we are trying to twin literacy objectives with psychosocial objectives in the home. Your objectives don't have to be that lofty, but the point is that you, can ha you have an opportunity to excite your child, to get them creating their own content, and potentially to have them contributing to solving another, another child's problem. And then the last tip I'll share before I, I, I go to the questions, and I saw a couple of raised hands, hopefully I can find them, is, um, we need to treat literacy and reading interventions like we treat recycling, right? It's not a one-off thing. It's not a handoff. You know that recycling symbol that has to go in round and round and round? It, we need to reread, review, reinforce. Literacy skill building takes practice, 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 practice. That said, I go back to point one, practice at home is not necessarily drill and skill. It's engagement, it's conversation, it's fun, but it's constant. It's constant so that the child learns, builds on what they learn, and relearn. Thank you very, very much for your, oh, my last slide. Um, these are my Instagram handles. And as I mentioned, I'll post the clip in, the link in, um, in, all of these actually. So Kelly is my personal thing. Jack Mandora is my kids book page. Read Jamaica is the um, program that I'm a part of that promotes Jamaican books and reading initiatives and Up Unity and Peace is the, organ is the program that I run um, through an NGO called Fight for Peace. And in all those activities, um, I, I, I stand firmly on, on the belief in our power to create meaningful change in children's lives if we can help them to embrace literacy skills and a love of reading as early as possible. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you too, Kelly. Thank you so very much. This was a breath of fresh air. A lot of persons in here are very passionate about literacy. So I loved it for you focus on engaging the children and not letting reading seem as though it's punishment but actually letting them enjoy it and look forward to it so that's definitely something i appreciate and really wish that a lot of parents would incorporate it but i think it has to do with that culture where children should be seen and not heard that still kind of permeates the atmosphere 
So I think we need to continue the conversation so we can get rid of that so parents can see that it is important for their children to enjoy reading and not just, oh, go in the corner. So I definitely want to say thank you for coming on board to share your knowledge with us. I'm seeing in the comments that persons here enjoyed it too. It was in fact carrying three excellent presentations, I agree with you. So I trust now that the questions that we have, they will be, they'll be able to be shared. Uh, you said you were seeing some raised hands. I'm not able to see them from my screen. So if you yes, can I'm trying to figure out how I go back to, uh, I think there are, I, one no, person I think, was I think asking, there are down now, but if anybody has a question, they could just put it in the, um, in the, in the comment box. Mm -hmm. One person had asked if you could repeat the four Fs that you had mentioned initially. Sure, yeah. So fun, um, freedom, family, and flexibility. Okay, awesome. And I saw a comment about using examples that incorporated fathers more. That's definitely a different conversation that we need to have because it speaks to the fact that fathers are not as involved in parenting and in encouraging literacy as we would want. So, well, it's a good thing that it's so late on a Friday because I will challenge you there. I think, I think we, our sector has not kept up with the numbers. Okay. Father, um, paternal engagement is on the rise in right. Jamaica. The statistics bear that out, and I can tell you what I what I see. In the last um, two months, we've shifted our book club from in-person activity to online activity, so through Zoom, like this. And I, I have fathers who sign on, um, are reading and drawing with their kids. We have fathers who are actively engaged in almost every aspect of our program, but I do, I believe that fathers and men in general are very powerful advocates and allies in, in, in the reading revolution that we need to have. Because as much as I say that father, but paternal engagement is increasing, we still have a lot of people who don't have fathers at home. Yeah. And so we have to try to make sure that in spaces where boys are, there is an opportunity for boys to see men reading. One of my favorite experiences in the last three years is I drove up to the Dedham Town Community Center and a 16-year-old boy and a, and a man, I don't know, maybe in his 30s, were in a intense conversation about one of the books in the book club box. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's one of these things that happens and then you get to look good. So now in my reports, I talk about the, you know, the intergenerational engagement about yeah. we never we never planned that the, the the man went into the into the community center saw the book and and asked if he could borrow the book and read it and then the the boy who's a member of the book club had read it and so they bucked up at the door and they were having a conversation about the book and it was a heated conversation because neither of them was happy about the how the book ended and it, it's I mean, it was, it was so great because it was a Jamaican, it was a Jamaican book. So I, I was able to, no, a Jamaican published book. So I was mm -hmm. able to contact the publisher and we were able to have a visit from the author. Now that's the kind of thing that like, you know, that, that's, that's like money to, mm -hmm. um, to me. But I, I, I think we have to, we have to be more proactive in putting books in spaces where men and boys gather. There's a brilliant project out of the US where they put books in barbershops. And if you read a book while you're getting a haircut, you get a discount. I mean, something like that, I would like to be able to, 
to introduce here because it inserts reading into a traditionally male um, environment. And we know, I mean, the literature tells us about imprinting, right? So let's try to find a way to, to positively um, trigger imprinting about reading and, and literacy in those male spaces. Definitely. Well, that's definitely a ball that you can get rolling and any how we can help, you can always let us know. I have a question for Miss Levy. She's asking, what are your thoughts on boys reading girls' books? So it's a great question. I don't I don't think there's any such thing as a, a girl book. Yeah. I think one of the um Alex Wheatle is a young adult author, a Jamaican who lives in the UK, who had a really rough life, went to prison, and he, he writes young adult books. And he said to me once, the most powerful thing any book can do is to trigger children's empathy. And, and that was like a light bulb moment for me because it, it, that means to me that we need to be a little less precious about who reads what. Because the more each of us understand each other, the stronger our community can be. You can't, you can't create empathy if you cannot imagine what it is like to be in somebody else's skin. So yeah, for me, I, I, I think we should let children read as widely as possible so that they can understand the world around them. They can understand the point of view of somebody else who is not exactly like them. All right. And Kanisha and Carolyn had actually agreed on the point that you made about more paternal engagement. So Carolyn is seeing a lot of engagement from the fathers in her school. And Kanisha just had a general comment in terms of us needing to applaud the effort that they're making and encouraging the other fathers who haven't really joined that ship to step up to the plate. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to talk about it because I was trying to stick to the 30 minutes. But one of one of the tools that I love to use um, with low literacy parents and, and oftentimes fathers fall into that category is non text picture books. Mm -hmm. So we don't have we don't have a lot of local ones here. Um, but again, part of what we're trying to do in this covert literacy mission is to is to create that that positive engagement with literacy. So if we if we take away all of the stumbling blocks, right? A lot of times why people don't want to read with their child is because their own reading level is not where they want it to be and they don't mm, want to, yeah. they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to, they don't even want to, 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 to deal with that on their own, let alone deal with that in front of their child. So picture books that have no text, take that off the table because it gives the parent the opportunity to make up their own story, right? And so you have that engagement. You still have all of the practice with words, vocabulary building, you can still do all of the great things that, that, that traditional books let us use, but you take away that fear and that can often be a stepping stone to more literacy engagement between that parent and the child. Awesome. All right, so I have two more questions. Wayne is saying that he's really glad he came and it's time well spent, but there's a question here that Namora is asking, what can you do to someone who is afraid of print and books in general? So my answer to that is, is different than it would have been four years ago. So I'll start with it today. And so I, I've, I've gained an appreciation in the last four years about how often and in how many different ways untreated psychosocial issues affect performance. Mm -hmm. So we don't know if there was an early instance of shame. We don't know what that trigger is that has caused that fear. And sometimes we get so caught up in trying to teach the skill and it doesn't work because we haven't unpacked 
that issue. And so I think where it's not always possible, right? Because we we know in Jamaica we have we don't have a challenge with, with accessible mental health resources, but trying to find a way to have the person deal with whatever that underlying issue is. And then I think a lot of the same strategies I suggest, like lead with interest, try to use multimodal books, try to find books that appeal to what the person is interested in, but that are at their reading level. And in any intervention, try to build in wins as early as possible. Sometimes our educational system um, forgets that. And so the, your, your efforts at doing anything are just lined with failure. I, no, no, failure is not a fun experience. If you fail at something 10 times, the, the motivation to keep going is low. So you have to think about like, what is a win? How can I build in like a low, you know, low level win so that the person has that experience of success? Maybe it's, mm -hmm. it's reading a chapter book, but doing it in a way that doesn't evoke shame. So maybe engaging the person in reading a chapter book with, um, with younger kids. There's a lot of, of research coming out of the US now about mixed age group um, literacy interventions, using the older participants as sort of coaches with younger participants, again, trying to unpack that shame. So I think you have to, so you have to, to sh a short answer, try to, uh, to figure out and, and support whatever that emotional hurdle may be, and then try to use a diverse um, set of tools that really play to the person's existing strengths and interests. Okay. All right. Natasha agrees with the point you made earlier about boys, not, there not being any specific set of books for girls and for boys. So she has a library of books. Some females are lead characters and some are males. But what's important for her is how her son connects with this story. So she wanted to share that with you. But Daniel, Daniel has a question. She wants to find out what tips do you have for high school students who might be struggling with reading and comprehension? I know you made mention of, of helping them, using them to tell the story or develop the story for smaller age children, but what other tips do you have? I think the, the thing that strikes me the most is the disconnect between materials that are, the disconnect between the materials that we're giving high school kids to read now and materials mm -hmm. that are relevant to them. And, I, I've heard this um, pushback from high school students as diverse as from Campion to Denham Town High. We, we are not listening to them and we are not creating materials that reflect their realities. Reading, and, reading is in driven, driven in large part by curiosity. I cannot want to read something that does not seem to be related to anything. I'm interested in. I see it in my own behavior. There's books that I don't read because I don't want to. I don't want to know mm -hmm. about that. So I think if we if we recognize that this is a challenge that we have nationally, we need to to pay a little closer attention to what what are young people in that age group living, experiencing, talking about with each other, and try to draw in. Um, uh, connections between the things that they're interested in and their reading materials. In some instances, that may be reading materials from outside of Jamaica. So for example, I've just brought back a whole book of um, set of books on sport for young people in our program because we run a sports program. And unfortunately, I have not found a lot of Jamaican books about sport. Um, but in some instances, it may also be creating those materials from scratch 
um, or engaging other um, peers who have stronger literacy skills in creating those materials. But I think driving from interest and creativity and a place of confidence and success is an easier hurdle you you know playing to my weakness is is hard so if, you, if I am bad at reading but I'm really good at cricket engage me with materials about cricket engage me I don't understand for instance why we don't have more books about dancehall whatever we might think about it you know I I, I can't tell squash boss from whatever I don't know them but I it occurs to me that like this is what our young people are listening to, you know, and, and we can create books that engage those topics critically. A book about a topic is not necessarily an endorsement of that topic, but we haven't, we just seem to be um, missing an opportunity to create materials that are really coming from the, the, the issues that they're trying to navigate, the problems that they're trying to solve and the things that they're genuinely interested in. That's so very true. That's so very true. Um, I think I think what I want to take away from this is that we all have a part to play as teachers, as parents, as somebody who knows a parent who might be struggling and is able to offer advice. So, oh, Mrs. Gooden wants to say that the session was absolutely rich and she is glad she joined. We are about to wrap up. You know, as was mentioned, it is the final, final in our series and we wanted to get some feedback probably a couple persons who have joined us for all three could just tell us what it is that they took away from the from the series can you use the mic or all right until somebody responds i want to thank you again kelly for presenting Nitrous, that you. Oh, thank you, thank you so much for having me. I, it's just an yeah. amazing program. I'm really impressed. So thank you for including me. It was a pleasure. Thanks again to all three presenters for this evening. And we are asking now, colleagues, if you have any feedback, anything that you think we need to improve on, if we were to host another series, anything that you enjoyed, can let us know now. For all. Very rich indeed. The management of the mics. Yes. Okay, okay. Maybe um, before our executive director comes on, mm -hmm. uh, like from the standpoint of the board of directors of the JIRC to recognize um, the outstanding work done by Santana Morris, our director, and our, our volunteers. Um, I was so pleased when I went on the Facebook page to see some of our volunteers who are, who are living now in the United States um, online, um, viewing and participating in this webinar. So. Uh, from the standpoint of the board of directors, big up Santana and to the volunteers, three excellent um, presentations um, this evening. And in terms of the three webinars that we were able to convene, all of them went extremely well. And we look forward to other creative and innovative 
responses, especially to COVID-19. All right, thanks again. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of the seminars as well. I was pleased with the, the breadth and the depth of the presenters. They were all well-researched and well-read and very engaging. I would, yes, and definitely. I'd like to turn over now to Ms. Morris. She is the director for JIRC. Ms. Morris, I hand over to you. Thank you very much, Chanil. I must say, and I know that before I say what I want to say, I know that you will all agree with me this evening that the presenters who came on were engaging, intellectually stimulating, and uh, attention grabbing. I felt at one point, I felt as if I was in a lecture theater listening to experts in their respective fields. So once again, thank you very much to Mrs. Elaine Foster Allen. The last time I checked, let me see if she's still on, yes. Uh, she came and she spoke about increasing equity and opportunity for all learners. We also heard from Ms. Doric Campbell. Ms. Campbell, we are forever grateful for your time. I, we were to have, we, we, we wanted to host a session on the 10th of July and we had to cancel. And she was very patient with us. She said, okay, I will come over and uh, speak for you on the 24th, which is today. She came and she spoke about managing exposure to inappropriate online content for children. And I'm sure that you would all agree that her presentation was also engaging. We heard from Ms. Kelly Magnus. Ms. Magnus continued to keep up the good work. She came and she spoke about building at home literacy experiences and based on the questions that you have all asked i can see that you know you all got something to take away and also to help to better equip yourself to those under your tutelage and those who you care for let me thank our moderators this couldn't go on without them um miss stacy brown she had to leave because of an emergency Ms. Chanel Shakespeare, who was one of our camp supervisors, and also Ms. Kadian Brown. Thank you very much. We all agree. Let me also say thanks to our live Facebook viewers who all stayed with us throughout the entire presentation. And uh, finally, thanks to our hardworking directors. Hopefully, we will. This is the final um, webinar, and uh, we're hoping to have. Um, more activities and more um, platforms to engage literacy specialists and also stakeholders in the education sector. So see how best, as you can see, it is so hot. We have been here, you know, um, enjoying all the presentations, not even wanting to move, you know. Um, but we hope to engage other stakeholders to see how best we can come together and uh, talk about how we can or contribute to literacy development across Jamaica. So with that said, we have been here for over two hours. Thank you very much and have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Thanks to Santana. Right. Thank Good you night, very everyone. Much. All right, bye. Bye, take care.
tall tree Oh, I am a swift wind Sweeping the country I am a river Down in the valley Oh, I am a vision And I can see clearly If anybody asks you who I am Just stand up tall Look them in the face and say that star up in the sky I'm that mountain peak up high Hey, I made it mm, I'm the world's greatest And I'm that little bit of hope When my back's against the ropes I can feel it mm, I'm the world's greatest Now I can just walk the world's greatest And it's the greatest Woo. 